Hi everyone, I'm Pranoti, host of Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials or nanoscience, who tweets from the Real Scientists Nano Twitter account, which is realsci underscore nano. Hi everyone, today we have with us Chris Nicholson, who is a group leader at the Fritz Hauer Institute of the Max Planck Society in Berlin, Germany. Hi Chris, how are you doing? Hi Pranati, very well thanks, and I'm delighted to be here today with you. Yay. Thanks very much for having me on. We are super happy, happy to have you here, and let's take a deeper dive uh, to get to know you uh, more as a scientist and your science as well. Okay. So let's start at the, probably at the very beginning or wherever you want to start, wherever your beginning is. So do tell us about your career journey so far, your scientific career so far. Okay, so the, the, the serious part, let's say, uh, started when I chose to go study physics um, back in my hometown. So I'm from Scotland originally, and I grew up in Edinburgh, but I decided to study physics in a little town just north of there called St Andrews, which is a beautiful little place right on the coast. Uh, with a number of beaches and it's quite famous mostly for golf because uh, that's apparently where golf was uh, first started and they have this very famous course there and i'm not into golf myself and that's not why i chose to go there but it's somehow something that people know about it okay uh, yeah so I, I did my undergraduate uh, studies there and that got me in touch with the kind of physics that i've ended up doing longer term so i did a couple of uh, undergraduate projects during the summer, during my undergraduate days, and um, somehow in the end that, that led to me being involved with this stuff called photoemission spectroscopy, which is what I do on the day-to-day -day level now. Uh, so when I came to the end of my time in St Andrews, I really, I really wanted to go abroad. I, I knew this for a bit of time beforehand, but I wasn't totally sure where I wanted to go or where would be a good place to go. Uh, so I asked my supervisor at the time, and he uh, very kindly sat me down and said, well, if you're interested in this kind of area of physics, there's a couple of people doing stuff in this place or that place. And uh, one of the places that he pointed out was Berlin, and where there were people doing uh, a version of photoemission spectroscopy, which used uh, very fast lasers to excite samples and then uh, follow the dynamics uh, following this excitation. And th this kind of caught my interest. Uh, and so I decided to apply to the the, the institute where, where this was uh, happening in Berlin. And uh, yeah, they invited me for uh, an interview and to kind of have a chat with them. And I was very impressed by the, the kind of environment and the science that was happening there. So I decided to do my PhD in Berlin with those guys. Yeah. And then afterwards, at the end of my PhD, I was kind of wondering again, okay, well, what should I do now? Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody who I'd actually worked with a bit during my PhD uh, was starting his own group down in Switzerland in a little town called Fribourg. And uh, we chatted a bit and talked about some of the ideas that we both had for the future. And he offered me a position there for a couple of years. So I did my postdoc in, in Switzerland with, uh, with him in Fribourg. And then uh, not so long ago, I mean, uh, I got an offer to come back to Berlin and to set up my own group here at the Fritz Haber Institute. 
Um, so still looking at the electronic structure of this uh, fast time scales. Um, but of course now with this experience from, from Switzerland and my PhD to, to build on. Okay. So that's kind of how I ended up here. When I, when I say it like this, I want to kind of say it with a caveat that it was absolutely not planned out at the start that I would go this place and that place and uh, that I would do these things. It just kind of happened fairly organically uh, mm -hmm. as, as, as I followed my interests. Okay. So okay, so from a famous golf course university or college um, to now Berlin, then Switzerland, then back to Berlin, that, that's quite an interesting journey. That's really, really cool. Um, so uh, about your current research, so you mentioned that you uh, recently moved back to uh, back to Germany, to Berlin at the Fritz Haber Institute yeah. uh, at the Max Planck Society. So your current research that you do, you already spoke about it in the short podcast a bit. So, but what I want to understand is where, did this, where does your current research fit in this big picture of materials on nanoscience? Which, which sure. puzzle piece is it? Yeah, so... I put it mostly in the kind of materials category. What I mentioned during the short podcast was this, this idea of electronic structure and uh, emergent behavior. And so those are the kind of big umbrellas that I'm, I'm interested in looking at. Um, novel electronic behaviors and phases that occur uh, in solid materials. Uh, and my own particular um, interest is on uh, dynamic electronic structure. So how does that change? How does the electronic structure change? So the distribution of electrons and their behavior. How is that modified by uh, ultra-short laser pulses? Okay. And what happens once electrons are excited uh, by an ultra-short laser pulse? What happens to the energy? How does that distribute into other parts of the crystal? Um, okay. Does it change the behavior of a material uh, from one phase to another? For example, does it change it from a metal to an insulator or the other way around? That's something that's absolutely possible with lasers. Okay. Um, and so, Within this material science area, it, the goal is really to look at fundamental material behavior mm -hmm. and to understand at a microscopic level the mechanisms that explain these behaviors that we see. Okay. So it's really getting at the, the nitty gritty details of, uh, of, of the electronic interactions within a crystal. And the, the hope, let's say, is that in the future one could use that knowledge and understanding of complex materials to design uh, new behaviors that we could actually use in a, in a practical way. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So if, if I have to oversimplify this, what one way of describing uh, your current research would be that uh, there is a material with electrons and everything, then you shine a laser on it um, and the electrons do something, either rearrange themselves or something happens, and mm -hmm. you're able to study what this something is. Uh, yeah, so right? what we're doing is basically taking a, a movie of what the electrons are doing in a, in a material. Right. So imagine you have a, a sprinter doing a 100 meters race, mm -hmm. but you only have a really slow camera. So you, mm -hmm. you maybe take photographs of this sprinter, at the start, during the race, and at the end. And at the end, you put all these pictures together and you can build up a, a picture, like a movie of him running, him or her running. Oh, oh, that's a very good way of describing this. this and so what we're doing is the same with electrons. You right. take them at the start, which is kind of like the starter gun. Right. And then you take a picture at one particular time. 
of what the electronic distribution is. And then you go to another time, you take another picture, and you keep doing that for many, many steps until you build up this dynamic movie of how it is the electrons are moving around and what they're what they're doing with respect to each other. That is so cool. Electron movie. I love that. <laughs> that that sounds really cool. Um so um Chris, it sounds to me uh, that the, the experiments are definitely, definitely interesting. And the research projects that you work on are super duper interesting. Uh, not just your current research, but also uh, your past research. Uh, whatever little interactions we have had, it was always fascinating for me, the different research projects that you worked on. Um, so this is a tough, tough question. I know this before asking this to you, but if you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of or the most fun or quirky one, could you pick one uh, and explain it to us in super simple words in the section we call In Other Words? Yeah, so I guess the, the thing it springs to mind um, is something that I was doing a few years ago uh, at the end of my PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and what I like particularly about it is this is really a project I was there from the ground up for. So we built a lab. Uh, I was doing that together with another PhD student at the time, um, working on the laser and the, the ultra high vacuum stuff to, to put together this big setup. Um, but then the, the project that I was particularly excited about at that time was the nanowires. So single atom wires on a, on a semiconducting substrate, which underwent one of these phase transitions between a metal and an insulator. And what we wanted to do was understand, like I said, how the electrons distribute themselves, how these behaviors change after photo excitation. Okay. And so we, we tried this with our, with our setup and uh, it worked out very nicely, actually, we got very nice data. And the, the really nice thing that came out of that was that we could understand the electronic structure changes, that was kind of the goal, but we could actually translate that into an ultra fast kind of bonding picture so that you could imagine instead of having a picture where uh, you have like a, a real space, you know, atoms moving around in some way, um, you, you could have that as well. But on top of that, you'd have the, the, the orbitals, like the electron distributions and their strengths kind of encoded in like color scale, for example, mm -hmm. and how these were changing during a, a, a reaction, basically, a chemical reaction or a structural reaction. And so we could kind of make this, this movie, this movie idea again, mm -hmm. of uh, how these orbitals, how these electronic bonds change and how their strengths changed on these really short time scales. And uh, for me, that was something that was really quite, quite nice to have that kind of microscopic and detailed view into, into something so kind of fundamental. I mean, we all study bonds and we've heard about them at university or at school or wherever, but having that kind of dynamic picture of how they rearrange and how they form was, that was really interesting for me. That, is, that sounds super interesting. So which nanowires were you studying? Um, so these were, these, this was something we grew ourselves in the, in the lab here, actually. It was just wires of indium, okay. elemental indium, which um, they, they self-assemble into like a, a 1D wire structure on silicon surfaces. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so right. that was something we could prepare in our lab here just by evaporating indium atoms onto a silicon surface and then doing a kind of annealing process to, um, to get a long range uh, homogeneity in the samples. Okay, 
Okay, interesting. I hope you talk about it when you're taking over the account. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if, if you have a movie, that would be even better. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. like you have a movie? No way. Yeah, so the title of the paper was actually Beyond the Molecular Movie. Um, and and we, we have these movies that we can show of the electronic structure or these bonds moving around. Those are a bit more cartoonish, but uh, That's still okay. based on real calculations based on our real data. Okay. Do you always go with these kinds of like fun titles for your scientific papers? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not always. I mean, it's not always so easy to have something kind of so overarching, let's say. And right. Sometimes it has to be a bit more specific and, uh, and then it maybe doesn't sound as fun, even though it's more useful. But uh, at least for, for talks and for presentations, I like to have this kind of more fun aspect to kind of you know, grab people's attention because uh, scientists were humans too. And we like to have things that are simple and easy to understand sometimes as well. Yes, definitely. definitely. You have an act for science communication. I see that. You should do it more often. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> Um, excellent. So it's clear to me, uh, Chris, uh, from talking to you that you really love the research aspect of being a scientist. Uh, but there are also other aspects of you uh, uh, that or other things that you have to do, other parts of being a scientist. So what else do you like about being a scientist other than the research itself? Yeah, so yeah, as you say, there's really a lot of stuff that we have to do as scientists. And honestly, for me, that that is the thing that keeps me motivated. The fact that you're not just doing one thing every day for months at a time. So I mean, maybe sometimes you go to the lab in the morning or the afternoon, but the other part of the day, you have to prepare a talk, write a paper, you have a call with some collaborators, you discuss ideas. It's, it's a very dynamic and active kind of existence as a scientist. So you have many of these things which are, uh, which are arriving in front of you and you have to deal with which of course can be challenging sometimes when they when a lot of them happen at once but that really stimulates me a lot and I, I absolutely love that aspect of it that there are so many things happening that you can interact with engage with mm -hmm. kind of related to that is the is the number of people that you get to interact with so i mean we go to experiments sometimes yeah in germany switzerland the uk sometimes the us and there you're meeting people that have completely different um maybe cultural or uh, educational backgrounds, maybe people are coming from chemistry, biology, physics, uh, but you're all working together on this one project and you all can interact and learn from each other. And for me, that's a super exciting aspect of, of our work that we have that kind of personal connection so often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, interesting. And you also mentioned uh, you like writing. Are you still on that? Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't really separate it out from the research part in a sense because um, because that's absolutely part of it. I mean, your 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 work in the lab is is one facet of, of research, but another one is preparing the results, analyzing them, and uh, writing out conclusions in a way that can be disseminated to the scientific community. So um, uh, yeah, I absolutely include it under the the umbrella of of research, and and one of the aspects that I enjoy about uh, my scientific job is is writing because it's it's your chance to kind of put down a nice story and tell people about your work and why is it interesting what did you find mm -hmm. and uh, how is it, how is it relevant to the scientific community so for me that kind of engagement with other people even though you're alone in 
at your computer uh, writing it yourself. I mean, you can kind of you know imagine that you're uh, interacting with other people through this through this medium, basically. Right, that is correct. That is amazing. That's that's really really cool, and it's it. it I, I'm getting the impression that I'm talking to a very mature sort of the scientist. Uh, so. oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, what advice would you give either to yourself uh, if you were to go back in time, or students who are starting out uh, today their scientific journey? What advice would you give uh, mature scientist person? So I absolutely do not want to give the impression that I'm somehow knowledgeable in any of the things that, uh, that I might think to say in terms of advice. Uh, it's really just my own experiences, of course. Um, I think that this would go for myself if I was going to talk to my younger self and definitely to, to other people who are maybe starting off on their scientific journey. Um, but I would say that people tend to come with a lot of motivation and they're very excited to do scientific research and that's absolutely wonderful and great and um, but i think it's probably good that we occasionally bring our heads up and look around at what's going on uh in, in the world around us and what, what i mean by that is looking at um, other aspects of your life whether that's your your uh, your personal life for your for your mental health or whether it's your um, professional life thinking about what it is that you actually want to do uh, where it is that you want to do it, and why it is that you like those things. And I, I think a lot of us in the, in the academic world, at least, we maybe we've always had the idea that we would be uh, researchers or uh, something related to that. But of course, for many people, it's the reality is it's very difficult to maintain that with uh, family life or with um, the job that you actually want to do rather than the one that you are maybe currently doing as part of academia. And I think it's probably worth from an early stage looking at what skills you can get from, for example, a PhD position and seeing how that can be applied to the wider world. If that's something that you might be interested in, uh, look from an early stage at what those options would be. So go and talk to people at companies, go and talk to people who do research careers, uh, gather information so that you can make an informed decision for yourself about where it is that you want to go, what it is that you want to do and that you're using your skills and your time uh, in a way that is most productive to you for sure but also that makes you feel happy and uh, lets you enjoy your uh, your life you know so yeah uh, basically uh, get information and, and inform yourself about what your options are and what it is that you really enjoy uh, and not not to get too focused down on, uh, on on science which can of course be very exciting and very interesting but uh, it's just one part of, of life. Right. Also, like a broader, have a broader view. Of exactly. Yeah. That's actually a very good advice. Um, and you are a mature scientist. I mean, Chris, come on, don't be, don't be so humble. <laughs> you are, um, I wouldn't say you are like super senior scientist, but you have gathered a lot of experience uh, in the this world true, of science sure. so yeah. far uh, from different labs. So your advice or your thoughts are definitely valuable and useful for, um, especially for people who are starting out uh, or looking at changing um, labs or different career paths probably or whatever they have to do. So very, very fine piece of advice, I must say. Um, uh, Chris, I hope your research experience has been wonderful so far. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it has been wonderful. Of course, I don't know all the stories um, and hope it will continue to be wonderful in the future. 
Um, however, if you had three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? You're not promising anything. I was, I was told there would be changes made. <laughs> Effective immediately. Yeah, exactly. No, no, of course. Um, so I, I don't know if I, uh, the, the thoughts that I had were not so much for my own career trajectory, mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, this is happening now, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if it can be really changed in the past. Anyway, um, the thoughts I had were more for kind of structural changes. And I know quite a few people on your, on your podcast have talked about some of these things, so I'm not necessarily giving completely novel thoughts, but I at least put my own spin on it. And the first thing, and I think it really is, it's a big stumbling block for science generally, and that is contracts and contract lengths. Um, I don't think we have a, a quick solution to this. This is something really structural at a very high level that we have to deal with. But I would love to see more stable positions in science, not just at uh, kind of high professor levels, but also research uh, assistants, uh, maybe teaching staff as well. Because one of the challenges that I think we have as scientists is yeah, sure, we have this uh, variety of work which can maybe be quite stimulating, but at the same time, not everybody is as good a researcher as they are a teacher or is really wonderful at preparing lectures or this kind of stuff. So I think there, we have a bit of a need for diversification of job types in, in the scientific community where people can really specialize a bit on, on one thing while still doing others. And, and to have that available from a a younger age and not wait until you're 40 or something to finally get a, a permanent position. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is an expensive thing for society as a whole, but uh, that would be my wish. So that's the wish number one. Okay. Uh, wish number two would be kind of related, but more about realistic work expectations. So the fact that we have these diverse jobs tends to mean, <laughs> from what I can tell, that you're expected to do all of them brilliantly all the time. Absolutely, yes. And that means not just publishing very high-level research, but also uh, having given maybe a lecture series, having developed teaching materials yourself, doing outreach, um, and, and these things already, I mean, they take up so much time um, that I think it would be reasonable to say to young scientists, okay, well, at this stage in your career, you should focus on this thing and it's fine if you don't focus on this other thing so much and as you progress then it's clearer what you should be doing in order to progress which brings me to my third point uh, this idea of an actually structured scientific career because at the moment you can do a phd and a postdoc somewhere you can have wonderful experiences but they're not necessarily comparable to what you get from somewhere else for example that's kind of part of the beauty of it that you have this very organic and individual experience but in terms of developing both scientists and also people who will eventually leave science and go work in industry we don't really have this kind of core set of things that we're setting out to to teach people or that we hope they have achieved by a certain point when they start taking on other responsibilities for example as a group leader and when you suddenly have other people coming to you and saying uh, you need advice or help with something and you're not necessarily trained for that, but you have to work it out somehow. Right. So it would be great for me to see a little bit more structure. And some places do this. There is definitely a move in this direction, but I'd like to see it kind of more evenly spread 
more evenly available. Right. So those are my thoughts. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I mean, yes, this has been mentioned uh, as you said a couple of times on the podcast um, as the wish list from from our guests, so to say. But the way you put it, yeah, that's that's also different way of looking at it, uh, be it the diversification of the different tasks that one has to do and finding your expertise and finding space or jobs uh, for teaching or for supervising, for research or writing or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely a different way of uh, approaching it. And I hope that uh, it becomes, th there there is more structure uh, in the science careers uh, in terms of contracts, in terms of the career growth as well. I mean, exactly what you said uh, so far, it's like master's, PhD, postdoc, postdoc one, postdoc two, postdoc three, da, 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 da. it can go on forever. Yeah, um, yeah. But there needs to be some sort of uh, structure there, some sort of like, a, yeah, structure. Um, how? I don't know. Uh, Me neither. We don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure we will figure it out. And you being now a group leader, a very mature scientist, I'm not saying it sarcastically, okay? I mean it, I truly mean it. Um, it's great to know that we have active researchers like you who are thinking like this, who are, who have this in the back of their mind that we need a different kind of a structure. We need things to change, uh, to make, uh, like manage expectations um, uh, and so on and so forth. Because if you, for example, speaking about your second point, the human expectations and not this superpower sort of expectations. If yeah. you work on weekends <laughs> and your students are like, oh, Chris is working, my PI is working on the weekends, I guess I have to work as well. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, you break the cycle, break the chain. Is that what it is called? Um, uh, yes, I'm being put on the spot now. I think uh, break the cycle. Sorry, yeah. break the cycle. Yeah, you break the cycle. That, oh, my supervisor did that, or people around me did that, so I will also work on weekends and throw my personal life in the bin. And it's work life, science is my work, like um, science is my life. Exactly. That's um, not a healthy attitude. No, no, it might be for the sprints, but if you're in it for the long term as a marathon, it's not going to work. Uh, but yeah, this has been wonderful, Chris. Um, before I let you go, though, I have one last question for you and that is of course uh when we are recording a podcast in the pandemic we cannot let the researchers leave uh before they share their learnings from the very interesting times that we are living in with masks <laughs> and all the pandemic of course that's what i'm talking about which started two years ago so what are your learnings from uh the year 2020 2021 because now we are in 2022 that's true. Okay, so what did I learn in 2020? Well, probably quite a lot of things, but the one that really stuck out when I was thinking about this was this um, this expression in English about keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, um, which is a bit of a, a negative. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is a bit negative, but yeah. what, what stuck in my mind was this first bit, keep your friends close. And I think for me, this was really the thing that came out from the pandemic in a, a way that I didn't expect because Having lived abroad now for quite a few years, of course, have friends and family uh, spread around the world now, and keeping in contact with them was always, you know, some effort with online communication and so on. Okay. But suddenly during the pandemic, everybody was doing this, and it actually made it a lot easier 
uh, to keep in touch with people who maybe I only saw once or twice a year, because now everybody was saying, oh, well, we, we're anyway meeting online with people, so let's do that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the combination of this and, of course, lockdown being a fairly isolating time for everybody really uh, it really highlighted the fact that you, you should absolutely keep uh, the people who make you smile, who you enjoy spending time with, as close to you as possible. And, of course, with COVID in mind, that I am speaking figuratively. I don't mean physically close necessarily, but uh, as close as you can make it, uh, such that it feels like you still have an actual uh, connection with people. Uh, right. So for me, that was that was really highlighted uh, during this pandemic time. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's that's a very very good uh, learning, I would say, and I I relate to that. Keeping your friends close, uh, closest, so to say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to stay away from the the original uh, part. But yeah, this is this is really. Um, that's that's true i think a lot of us can relate to what you're learning um thank you very much chris looking forward to having you on real scientist nano uh i enjoyed our conversation a lot i learned a lot and and i'm really excited to see all the pictures and the advices especially about the writing and stuff i know you're not gonna share the two tips and all of that but uh still yes <laughs> thank I hope you I can make it a fun week for people it's going to be great. So thank you and see you on Twitter then. Thank you for having me, Pinoti. See you later. Thank you for listening. This is Pranoti, host of Under the Microscope. To know more about us, visit our website, thesciencetalk.com and follow us on Twitter at realsci underscore nano.